Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. I'm the guy they call Joe. Roger Anderson. The Jolly Roger Telephone Company. This is a this is a fun one. Yeah. So Roger, uh, this aired March tenth of twenty nineteen. It's season ten, episode fifteen. Uh, the Jolly Roger Telephone Company answered your scam calls with a robot message, and it was funny. So it was to kind of mess with people, but also handle scam calls and and you know all the garbage calls that you get. Um, Roger said that the previous year of airing, which would have been 2018, $9.4 billion in telephone fraud yeah, occurred. Blown away. And, by I, and, that I, and I, well, and it's, it's sick because what they do is they rip off elderly folks yeah. like you. Oh, ouch. So, ouch. You, uh, you know, we, we need your credit, we need your social security number, Mr. Oh, Bazella. Okay. okay. Right. Uh, it's a one nine. Uh, Four hundred thousand for ten percent is the ask. Yeah. So four million dollars. Yeah. And he's pre-revenue. And Mr. Wonderful, right out of the gate, said so. Can I finish my part first? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. No, he just asked why you worth four million dollars. Valid question. So (laughs) the service is twelve dollars per year for customers, and they said that four dollars was their cost to execute on that. And you get to listen to the calls afterwards. So now tell me what the shark said, Joe. Well, and by the way, what's your what's your social security number? Uh, I'll give you the last four digits. Can I have your credit card? <laughs> Can I have your credit card number, sir? Hey, uh, you know, I I give it to you because you probably do. You have credit cards, or do you still write I out checks? I have lots of you, credit cards. At the cards. grocery store, do you write out checks? I have lots of credit cards. I have this one. I have this one. But I, you know, I should give my credit cards to you because you'd spend. Less than my wife does. I'd save money if I just had you uh, go through her purse. Okay, so, yeah, uh, Mr. Wonderful was dubious up front. Cuban went out very, very quickly. He said it wasn't his thing. Lori didn't get the concept at all, so she went out uh, quickly. Uh, Jamie was interested. Um, Mr. Wonderful came back in and offered 400000 for 50%. But then he, he, he made a couple of snide comments like, you need adult supervision, and this really isn't a business yet. So he went, you know, he went all uh, Kevin. And uh, Damon went out pretty quickly. Uh, but Jamie and Mr. Wonderful were kind of hanging in there, and they had kind of a dual offer, but there was no deal. It, it didn't come together on the show for Jolly Roger. All right, well, let's get into... <laughs> I, I didn't notice. He actually, so the company, the company Jolly Roger Roger, I just yeah. put that connection together. Jolly Roger. All right. You so, just, so you just figured that out right uh, now? Honestly, yes. <laughs> yes, I did. And I'm the dumb one? Because I thought you screwed it up. I thought you, I thought you were and Jolly Roger. And I'm the old senile guy? Okay. 
Two things can be true. All right. Let's get to our interview with Jolly Roger. All right. We are here with Roger Anderson, the Jolly Roger Telephone Company. Roger, welcome to Outside the Tank. Thank you so much for having me on. We are, we are looking forward to uh, hearing all about your, your Shark Tank experience. You went in there uh, valuing the business at $4 million. Where, where did the $4 million valuation for the company come from? So that took a lot of time to try to figure out. Um, the, the, uh, pretty much the, the biggest factor for Steve and me was that both of us are somewhat old and seasoned telecom engineers, and we have very good jobs in the industry. And, um, you know, and, and obviously this is a huge risk to drop everything and, uh, and pursue this, uh, you know, in startup mode. Uh, and so I, I suppose we just didn't, we were hoping to be a bit more, to, to value it high, so that way we could, um, uh, we could sort of keep paying the mortgage put the kids through college type thing. Um, so we just, we're not, I guess we're just not, a, we weren't in a position to, um, to just drop everything and live on faith for a while. So that's why we needed, um, that's why we needed it valued so high. But that took a long time to try to figure out, go big or not go big, or how's this going to work out? Anyway, tremendous risk. Were you, were you actively trying to get on the show or did they recruit you? How did you end up on Shark Tank? Uh, well, that, um, yeah, we, we didn't, it's funny when, when this all began, which is actually just a few days away from five years ago, uh, today, February 1st was the, was the day when it sort of broke on in the news. Um, when this began, I had a lot of coworkers and colleagues say, oh, you should get on Shark Tank. Like it's that easy, right? You just click the button and go on Shark Tank. Right. So, um, anyway, so, so this was, so yeah, getting, getting on the show, um, I can say we weren't, uh, like we, we didn't really, uh, pursue it hard. Like we, we weren't out there doing the, you know, going to San Bernardino at some hotel and, and pitching to, um, uh, to a bunch of, uh, people, you know, producers and things like that. So it was one of those, I guess it, are there some people that are recruited? Is that, is that a fairly common thing for people to get contacted and then recruited on the show? Yeah. It sounds like yeah, we have heard, Go ahead, Joe. we have heard from some that they have, uh, They've been recommended, referred, uh, recruited. Um, so yeah, we have heard that. Okay, so yeah, that's that's it. that's what happened in, in in our case. We had just, um, I think we had there was a second newspaper article where Jolly Roger was mentioned in the New York Times. Um, it, it was around a time when when there was a, a Today Show appearance um, where somebody came out and interviewed. So there was so we were on the Today Show. So I think a producer uh, saw that or, or, or something, and then we were sort of contacted. Um, and then the time frame was extremely short, so we just had to scramble and, and make things work out. And typically, the time frame isn't short. We've heard from a lot of people, Tom, that, oh, it was eight months, nine months, 10 months, um, you know, run up. So this is different uh, as well. I'm curious, um, was the intent when you made the decision to go on, was the intent uh, specifically for that raise, or were you more hopeful for just a lot of great exposure? Um, so when we were speaking with the producers of the show, and by the way, they assign uh, they assign producers, and and 
the two, and, and they're just amazing. They're fantastic people. And they're really champions for Jolly Roger, right? They, they try to help as much as possible. Um, they, you know, Shark Tank has been around long enough. I think they can sort of sense when people are just looking for exposure and free advertisement. And so they try to weed those people out right away. So by the time that you practice your pitch and you make things work out, you're really 100% fully on board with trying to raise money through Shark Tank, trying to make a deal with the sharks. So, um, so they can, I think they sense it when you're leading up, if you're just not, if your heart's not in it and you're just kind of doing it halfway, or if you, um, if you go on the show and then it's, and it's clear that you really aren't trying to make an effort to make a deal. So I think they have really good instincts by now to make sure those people don't get on the air. Um, so yeah, we were, by the time, you know, we were a little reluctant at first, uh, and we weren't quite sure how this was going to work out. By the time we were on the show, we were we were ready. We were fully on board with trying to make a deal. With your pitch, was uh, how long were you in there for? And was there anything that that didn't make air that was interesting or remarkable? We were in there for about forty minutes. Um, There's a lot of back and forth. Um, we did. We were impressed that Mark Cuban kind of nailed the technology immediately. He knew what we were using. He knew, you know, how we were hosting it. Um, and so there was a lot of, um, uh, you know, when when you start answering questions, um, you're, you're vague at first. So there can be a cut that goes on TV, and then and then you get more specific and more specific and more specific because, you know, the audience may not necessarily care about the, the technology and the geeky aspects of all of it. Right. So, um, but yeah, Mark Cuban was, was definitely interested in, um, in the technology and, and did a great job sort of pinning that down, nailing that down. Um, Steve had a, a, a great rapport with Mr. Wonderful um, that didn't come across necessarily. There was a lot of banter and back and forth. So we had a nice personal relationship with him. Um, so yeah, that was, um, so anyway, there were a lot of, you know, all of that 40 minutes gets snipped down to five or six minutes. And, and so a lot of the stuff, yeah, the, make it. the magic of television is interesting right. that, uh, Cuban went out, actually Cuban went out early and then came back in <laughs> with an offer. So it was kind of, the whole thing was like a ping pong game. People were coming in, going out, coming in, going out. I didn't out. know you could do just, that, but you know, there are no... Yeah, there are no, there are very few rules on the show, but I, I had, I had done a little bit of research and watched a few episodes, but I didn't realize you could do that. So I almost said, Hey, you can't do that. But you know, didn't want to say anything. By the way, I was uh, laughing. Uh, and, and I actually remember seeing snippets of this when it aired. I've been a Shark Tank fan, a fan obviously for, for many years. I remember seeing a snippet of this. I'm probably walking past my TV when it originally uh, aired. And I remember thinking, I do what these guys do um, non-robotically, organically, because my wife and I have a game when a telemarketer calls, she hands me the phone, and I just love to talk people up and gibberish and random stuff and tell them my dog just threw up. So I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I remember these guys uh, because this is what I do just to waste a telemarketer's time. So uh, great product. It was interesting. That that counter came back. Um, I guess uh, the 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 offer was Jamie and Mister Wonderful at the end, and they were kind of hanging in there with a dual offer that just didn't make sense for you and Steve. Correct? 
Correct. Right. It went up to 50%. They just wouldn't budge from 50%. Yeah. And so it's always interesting to us what happens after the tank. <laughs> so um, the few days or a few weeks after you walked out of the tank, what, what was life like? What did you learn? Uh, what did you start thinking about differently? So, um, yeah, so afterwards, um, immediately afterwards, I found it interesting um, is that, that a psychiatrist will come and meet with you and make sure you're doing okay before you're actually released from the show. So, um, so I suppose there are a lot of people who get on the show and that sort of becomes the ultimate goal. Maybe they've sold out and borrowed a lot of money and, you know, they're mortgaged their house and now they're on Shark Tank and that's their final chance to try to make a go of their company. Um, so I suppose to a lot of people, this could be devastating, not making the deal. And so I think they had, um, well, they, and they, they have counselors available for you, which was, um, which was nice, right. Just to make sure that you're, that you're doing okay before you leave the set. So that was immediately afterwards. The, um, the, the, the time between recording it and, and it was months and months later until it aired. And we didn't know if it was going to be on. I think it was sort of an extended season. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're, everything is just hush hush afterwards. And of course, we can't say a word to anybody, right? And so it's it's very difficult to um, it, it's very difficult to sort of uh, keep quiet, stay quiet. You know, your family, of course, knows what happens, but. Uh, but if you've got kids in school and things like that, they have to be really careful not to say a word and not to say anything to anyone. And so th the, the secrecy afterwards was, was, uh, was a little difficult um, just to make sure that word didn't get out. Um, but we did it. And then yeah, the, show, the show airs, uh, I guess, March 10th of 2019. What, what starts happening once the show airs? Um, do you see an uptick in business? Is the website getting hit hard? What happened uh, to you and to the business once you did make air? So, uh, yes, all of, all of the above. It was crazy. So you get about two weeks notice. And, and at that point, we're, you know, we kind of shrug and say, holy smokes, right? This is real. We've got to make sure that, we, that our website can handle the volume. Uh, in our case, we have a 30-day free trial period. Everybody who signs up for Jolly Roger gets a telephone number assigned to them from an inventory, from a pool of numbers. So we have to make sure we have enough numbers. We have to make sure we have enough capacity. Um, we have no idea what to expect in terms of volume and interest. We, um, uh, we, we made sure that the website, this is good advice that we, that we got. Um, we made sure the website had a fail-safe, a big red button we could push that would then route all the traffic to a hosting provider that could put up a page to say, we're inundated right now, please fill out this form, right? Um, so, cause you don't really know what your website's gonna do. Um, and it can be, you know, automatic provisioning with a phone system and assignment of numbers. There's a lot of, there was a lot of things happening behind the scenes that we just didn't know what to expect if 7,000 people clicked a button at the same time, right? So, um, so we, we, needed to build that up, but we didn't want to spend the money if we weren't going to air. Um, so we didn't, you know, do you hire people, you hire web developers and, and do the capacity management before um, you hear the news that you're going to air on TV or not, right? So we had two weeks to make all of that work and get it all lined up. Um, the night of uh, was kind of fun. It was, 
um, I'm out here on the West Coast in California. So uh, I'm three hours behind. So you have to, so if you want to watch it East Coast time, the first time it airs, you need to do tricky things with VPN and signing up for uh, streaming services. Uh, but you have to look like you're on the East Coast so you can sign up and watch in that time zone and things like that. So, so we had computers and wires all over the floor and multiple screens. And we had, you know, this laptop over here and that over there. One of them's watching Google Analytics and one of them's watching the database to make sure, you know, capacity is, is met. And, and anyway, so all of these things were lined up and we had people over and TVs on and then it's on the air. Um, and, and then, and then it was, it was exactly like you'd expect with, with all of a sudden, you know, the website gets hit and the, the phone system gets hit. And anyway, it was, it was, a, it was, it was a tremendous evening. It was a lot of fun. And it was one of those once in a lifetime events where, um, where you just, you're on TV and then all of a sudden a bunch of people hit your website at the same time. It was just, it was, it was, um, it was kind of a fun moment. Is yeah. there is there anything that you would have done differently in terms of the way you presented the pitch, um, what you asked for? I mean, as you look back, do you feel like, hey, I we we did the best we could, or are there things that you would change if you had to go back and do it again? That was a really difficult feeling for me. There was a lot of emotions, um, embarrassment, shame. You know, I, I I'm sort of a people pleaser at heart, and so to to sort of go on Shark Tank and and things didn't work out and and you know people may have been expecting things to work out and for you to do certain things so it was hard for me at first um, but as time went on you know it was I realized that it was the it was the best thing um, we didn't want to you know give up uh, you know fifty percent of the of the company that and not be able to make uh, key decisions um, it worked out well. Uh, you know, the, to be able to say afterwards that it all worked out well and just the way it was supposed to was a, was a nice thing. So I think we did our best. Um, I think we had a really good story. The goal really is to fight telemarketing, which hasn't been, you know, I don't know if that came across all that well. We were very, very adamant the whole time about, about trying to, you know, the social benefit of Jolly Roger Telephone and trying to protect people from fraud and scam and scams and and telemarketing and aggressive telemarketing. So really the goal was to, was to really just try to try to rid the world of telemarketing if, if possible. Right. And so that didn't come across. It was more of financial calculations and I'm trying to run a business and we're trying to make money and we're trying to, um, you know, grow and expand and things like that. But the goal really was to, um, was to just help people through, uh, telemarketing and, and protect scammers. Um, so I, I, I really I'm I'm happy with our pitch. I'm happy with the way it went. It was much goofier than um, you know. Steve and I are goofy people, and you have to have a sense of humor to use Jolly Roger Telephone. But um, but really, the showmanship and the flair uh, that that you that you do on Shark Tank um, was was uh, you know it was funny. We had to practice that. So, but the, I think it went well, and we're we're happy with our performance. Yeah, Roger, we had we've had so many people share with us that. They wanted to spend more time on the mission versus just the numbers, but they didn't have an opportunity to do that or it didn't come through because of the magic of, of editing. But sure, sure. I kind of get I kind of get what your mission is and, and I personally love it. So it's always interesting for us to just try to get current and understand where the business is now, what's happened over the last few years. Uh, you had a uh, at time of airing, you had a 
$12 annual subscription cost and, and a, a cost of goods of about uh, $4 annually. Is that correct? Do I have those numbers? Uh, yes. Actually? Yeah. Yeah. So we still have the same pricing model, same structure. Um, we've been, we've added a lot of uh, features and enhanced the service quite a bit um, to the point now where we're about to launch where you can make your own robot. So we're working on a pirate maker application for your, it's a smartphone app where you can make your own robot. But we're trying to keep the pricing uh, at the same sort of no brainer level of about 99 cents a month. Um, there's a lot of um, behind the scenes work we've done to enhance the robots, make them smarter. We use the speech recognition, which can be quite expensive when you do. I realized as a hobbyist, it's one thing to do a lot of work on the internet because there are a lot of free utilities available, right? You know, just even sending an email is free, of course. But as soon as you, you're doing 10,000 an hour, it's not free anymore, right? So, um, so there was a lot of expenses that, that sort of we, we incur just because of the volume that goes into it. Um, but we've tried to make the service still extremely low price. Um, and, and, uh, we've converted to a nonprofit. And so we're just trying to go out there and, and, and benefit the world with, um, uh, with services that'll trap as much telemarketer time as possible. Can you tell us a little bit more about Make Your Own Robot, how someone with a sense of humor uh, <laughs> and someone creative would, would utilize that? I'm interested in that. So, um, right. You, you mentioned that you, that, you know, you do this uh, just uh, you know, as a hobby, right? And I did the same thing. It's your, it's your civic duty to waste time of telemarketers, right? Because you might be protecting the next caller. You have no idea who's, who's the next on their list. It might be you know, a vulnerable old lady who is going to, suspect that there's a problem with their computer, right? So yes, waste as much time as possible. But your time, obviously, is a lot more valuable than that telemarketer's time. And so that's why, um, so, you know, that's why we try to put this automation idea into the world. So putting a Jolly Roger robot together, if you've had a chance to listen to any of them, there's a lot that goes into it, um, just in terms of goofy stories, and then grunts, and yeses, and hellos, and acknowledgements, and then you, and then things about you know, credit cards, and there might be things about surveys and solar panels, and you have no idea what kind of flavor of telemarketing you might get. So all of those snips that go into a robot now we put into a, we package into an app so you can record them all yourself. So you record some, you know, various sound clips of you saying silly things. And we've got some, you know, uh, we've got help on the screen to tell you the types of things to say and how to end it and things like that. And then the, you know, the phone, the Jolly Roger bot server or whatever, uh, whatever's running on the back end on our telephone system will then piece those together in real time during the call and, um, and hopefully waste as much time as possible. The nice thing is we have right now about 20 robots, I suppose, that pick up the phone and talk. And, you know, a savvy telemarketer, if they're, if they're getting these robots a lot, they might start to recognize the things that they say or, or the way they work. If we can crowdsource the creation of these bots, then telemarketers, they won't know what's real and what's not. So it'll take, it'll take mi several minutes at, at minimum to try to determine if they're talking to um, you know, a, a feeble old man or if they're talking to a Jolly Roger robot. And hopefully they'll just get discouraged and disheartened and, and maybe they'll find another job. Gotcha. Well, it's interesting. Um, I'm a salesperson. So if I 
if actually there is a uh, product and a nice person on the other end, I'll go easier on them. But if it's very spammy and scammy, uh, I'll ratchet up my game. But that's very interesting. Can you tell us, can you explain just a little bit more about why you and Steve uh, converted uh, the entity to a nonprofit? We realized, actually, that was a decision after Shark Tank. We realized that we wanted to focus on the social benefit of the service. Um, and we, uh, and we, we didn't want to have to chase investors and chase money and, and try to build business cases around growth and profit and development. We just wanted to be able to focus on the social benefit. We also, um, you know, we sort of, we, we, we protect just accidentally and on purpose, right? We end up protecting certain brands, right? We'll protect, uh, people from, Microsoft and Google and Apple and Publishers Clearinghouse and the IRS. And so a lot of these scammers will use big name brands to try to um, convince people to give up a credit card or, or something like that. And so, you know, we hope that, that maybe we'll get the attention of these brands at some point to help um, protect their, to protect their reputation a little bit because, you know, Microsoft has, um, has whole departments devoted to trying to, um, you know, smooth over uh, a lot of these raw relationships when people think that Microsoft just scanned them out of money and Microsoft had nothing to do with it. And so they're, they're really making an effort for community outreach to try to, to try to um, pr protect their brand a little bit. You mentioned on the show, trying to go after uh, carriers. Did you ever pursue that? Uh, we have not. Uh, that requires, uh, you know, some travel, some relationships, um, some some money. Uh, there's a, a tremendous opportunity um, at the carrier level for you know redirecting calls and trapping calls and, and things like that. So no, we're still we're we're still definitely looking into that. We're sort of taking advantage of what you might call consumer features, such as simultaneous ring and conditional forwarding and and things and three way calling and and features that you get on your telephone today. Um, but at the consumer level. And so being able to protect people at the carrier level would just be a, a whole new level. And we would love to be able to pursue that. I don't know if you remember or not, because you said you haven't gone back and watched it since, but uh, Steve at the end of the, of the part that aired on TV, he's like, can I, can I tell a quick story? And they said, no. Do you know what the quick story was going to be? It, it was... Uh, I, I, yes, I believe it was about a scam for uh, with his um, his father and a call a call that that one of his father's robots had taken to protect some people and um, and that had led to a lot of interest. So someone had signed up and immediately protected that old man robot immediately protected this this gentleman's father um, to the point where he was so interested and so tickled that he uh, reached out and contacted us. So. It was, um, it was, it was a, a, you know, a story or an anecdote about, uh, about how the robots just immediately protected and preserved someone who had been scammed in the past, an, uh, an elderly person. But at that point in the, in the pitch, uh, you know, like I say, we've been up there 35, 40 minutes or so. And so, um, and, and so they had, they had kind of gotten tired of the, of, the, I think of the, of, of the pitch perhaps, or, or, um, or just weren't interested in listening at that point. 
Yeah, some of these uh, sharks have a, a quite a short attention span at times. Yeah. God bless them. <laughs> right, right. And, and you know, I'm sure you have to at that level, right? They've got yeah. thousands of people who want to talk to them. Yeah. They, um, you know, we all, I think as human beings, we, you know, we filter through what we want to hear and uh, they have a tough job. You know, certainly not as tough as the entrepreneur's job because it's, uh, you know, it's uh, their job to, to, poke holes in, in everything that's pitched at him. But uh, very interesting. Stuff. This has been a, uh, this has been a great interview. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. So moving, you know, moving forward, what's, I guess, what's the main focus that, that you have on the business? What do you think this thing looks like 12, 18, 24 months from now? Well, we're working on some technology that'll allow us to expand into other countries. We have some interest in the UK um, the, 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 you know, a couple of countries in Europe, certainly Canada, Australia. Um, the fact that we will, will, uh, well, that we have a, an application where you can record your own robot opens up opportunities for other languages. Um, we, uh, in the United States where we're using, I had mentioned earlier, we're using sort of a pool of numbers. Everyone gets their own number, but we're really, really trying to make this work with, uh, with fewer numbers. So we don't have to assign an inventory of numbers because that won't work internationally. The numbers are too expensive. Um, crowdsourcing the robots um, and being able to, to sort of get an inventory of hundreds or thousands of robots so the telemarketers uh, won't be able to tell the difference. Um, and then just trying to get the word out. We're not really much for advertising or social media. Um, and so we kind of need help for, from our subscribers to help spread the word. But even if you don't want to go through the effort of making your own robot or spend a lot of time and attention configuring your service, just signing up for Jolly Roger Telephone allows you um, allows our robots to intercept your telemarketer calls. So it really helps the entire community, even if you don't want to put any attention or time into the service. Just signing up sort of allows us to to suck down more telemarketer time, and that helps um, with you know industry wide analytics. Um, and it helps, uh, you know, to, to sort of capture as much time as possible. And maybe, like I say, dishearten a few telemarketers out there. And for the folks listening that want to purchase the product, give it a trial, uh, where can they find you? Where can they buy it? Um, cause I'm sure many folks are like, yeah, that'd be kind of cool for a buck a month to start blocking some of these calls. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so jollyrogertelephone.com. Uh, I, I really am very, we're very fortunate that there's uh, some accidental search engine optimization. So even if you just typed in, dude built a robot to talk to telemarketers, right? It'll Roger Anderson, Jolly Roger Telephone will be at the top of the list. So <laughs> signing up um, is easy. There's a free trial period. Uh, there's some, there's some method, there's, a, there's help for all kinds of carriers, some testing interfaces, things like that. Um, and then you know, as like I say, as, as interest grows in making a robot, um, you know, there's there's an opportunity there as well for making your own pirate. I'm the kind of guy that would want to make my own robot, so I think I'm going to go. That's down wonderful. There. Yeah, make as make as many <laughs> as you want. Yeah, um, we do have, of course, uh, you know, we've got some social media channels. We could always use some, um, you know, people, uh, you know, liking and signing up and subscribing to social media, et cetera. So. I'm sure that is helpful for the for the algorithms out there. Um, but as an old school telephone guy, 
my social media is the phone, right? So that, you know, I just, I, the telephone is, was my primary means of social communication growing up. So the social media part, uh, I'm still struggling to learn and I'm doing my best. So. Well, we'll get, we'll mobilize the outside the tank and growth tent communities to get the word for Jolly Roger Telephone Company thank you. out there. <laughs> wow. Thank you. That's, that's wonderful. Well, we, uh, we so appreciate the time. Uh, you're, you're an awesome guy. We love the business. Uh, you know, we'll obviously let people know where, where to find you. But thank you so much for joining us on Outside the Tank. Thank you so much for having me. I sure appreciate it. Roger, thank you. Thank you. All right, we're back. Great interview with Roger. We got our takeaways. Yep, got some takeaways. So post-game takeaways. First and foremost, he loves his data. He loves to dig into what's going on, use those numbers, use that information to improve business. And, and data is becoming uh, really a currency uh, in business today. So if you're not mining data, if you're not figuring out how to collect more data from uh, your customers, you should do that. He loves his data and he uses it well. Second thing is he realized at some point that they should probably focus more on the social benefit of their platform, how it helps society, than just chasing the dollar, chasing money. And I like that. I like that this thing really does, uh, as we talked about up front in the pregame, really does uh, make it possible so that possibly a percentage of the retired people or elderly people like me uh, don't get scammed by these, you know, these ruthless bastards <laughs> that use the phone uh, for uh, phishing. So I like the fact, Tom, that they, you know, they realize that the social benefit of this thing is possibly even more impactful than the buck they could make out of it. Well, that was, you know, a lot of my takeaways had to do with that as well, which is that, you know, admittedly, Roger didn't necessarily make his purpose clear. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because the purpose of hey, we want to, you know, uh, maybe handle these calls and whatever. Ugh. But then when he came back and said, no, I actually want to end telemarketing. Oh, well, that's interesting. Where was that during the pitch? So I think really focusing on your purpose because people buy products because of purpose. People rally around products and brands because of purpose. So if he would have started his pitch and come out and said, I'm ending telemarketing. Well, that's bold. That's exciting. That's disruptive. That's something that I can rally behind and get behind as a consumer or an investor. So, you know, as entrepreneurs, we need to make sure that our purpose is very, very clear. What's the main, big, messy issue that we're trying to solve? Okay. Absolutely. Um, you know, another takeaway was that smart people. Um, and listening to everyone can often make our business too complicated. Yep. You know, sometimes if too many voices are in your head and you implement all of that, you end up with something tangled and messy that's far too complicated and really has no purpose or direction. So just because, you know, someone gives you advice doesn't mean you have to take it and doesn't mean you should take it. You know, someone gave me advice the other day on the architecture of the remodel of uh, a home that we're doing. Is this yeah. the main home or the this uh, is, guest home? This is not the guest quarters. This uh, is the okay. main house. Great. And, and that's he, on the southeast end of the property? It's on the southeast 
end of the property, okay. yes, facing the sun. That's right. And uh, we're putting a patio covering uh, in. We, we just literally tore down the house, so starting from scratch. So we're redoing the patio covering. We're making it bigger and grander. And he gave me like this very intricate detail on how he would design the patio covering. And in my mind, it would have made it look choppy and it was going to be more expensive. I already know it from what he was describing. So at the end, he said, and you should do that now because you haven't built it yet. It's in the design phase. And I said, well, that's a horrible idea. And he said, you don't like it? I said, no, I don't like it. I said, I wish you'd shut up because I just want to <laughs> sit in the jacuzzi and have my beer. And some, you know, you have to, and he's a good friend, obviously. But uh, sometimes you have to be able to process something very quickly and say, that's not a good idea. Or more importantly, that's not a good idea for me now. Yep. And it's very, very easy to open your ears and open your mind. And we should have open minds and open ears. But and open hearts. And open hearts, too. But there's a lot of uh, information uh, that we don't need. And you have to be just as judicious uh, of that. So uh, this has been great. Roger Anderson, I great guy. Oh, oh, sh I'm sorry. <laughs> I have, I have I one more. I have one more, and I've, you know, I've heard this from a lot of smart people, but um, expenses can and often do go up with volume. Yeah. So every, you know, early stage entrepreneur thinks, oh, if I sell more widgets, if I get more monthly clients, whatever it might be. Well, then I'll make more money. My margins will go up. Everything will be fine. Right. Uh, oftentimes, as your margins go up, you have to hire people. You have to increase the software you need. You take on new expenses. There's so many things that go on, and so your margin can go down. So if you're working with a razor-thin margin on in the first place, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse over time, most likely. Uh, and you leave yourself little to no margin for error. So understanding that we need to price our services appropriate, we need to be efficient on the front end because volume will not necessarily and probably won't increase margin. I thought that was important too. And if you're not a numbers guy and you can't project that out, put it in a spreadsheet, make sure you're hiring a fractional CFO or you go to any bean counter that you're working with externally and have them do the work for you. Well, that's a great point because I, I, a lot of entrepreneurs – say some variation of, oh, I'm not good with the numbers, or, oh, I don't know how to use accounting software, or I'm just not a numbers person. I mean, I hear that all the time. Yep, I yep. used to be in, you know, I used to be with a, a group of about 50 entrepreneurs, um, and we'd meet monthly in small groups and in a big group setting as well, and people just bitched and moaned about, oh, well, I don't, I don't know my numbers, or I don't have my numbers. We were supposed to bring them every month to the group, and we were supposed to know them. And okay, you're not a numbers person. That's fine. Hire someone. Right. I mean, for literally hundreds of dollars a month, you can have a fractional CFO that can, you know, <laughs> uh, or, or even a fractional bookkeeper that can organize everything, aggregate everything, give you a profit and loss yeah. statement. This is not complicated. But I hate when I hear excuses for things that are easy to outsource. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I'm not a number. Okay. So we're not all everything. If we can't, we either can't market or we can't sell or we can't do numbers or we can't lead. I mean, we all have deficiencies yeah. and it's okay. You know, if you're an operations person, that's but, fine. Uh, but do you also believe, because that's true, okay, we have strengths and weaknesses and all that. But do you also believe, as I believe, that we could become at least knowledgeable sure, or adequate about yeah, all those? Yeah, 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 yes. You could either outsource it or you could just buy a damn book on Amazon, spend a weekend reading it, and you could be you know, a 
inadequate at whatever. And, and shouldn't you yeah. at least? I, I mean, I think understand so. an area of your business, whether it be marketing or operations or business development. Yeah, more moral of the story. Moral of the story is there is no excuse for being weak in an area. Yes, you can be average, but you can't you can't be weak. You can't be completely ignorant. And if and if it's something that I mean, truly, there's just a major gap where hey, for you know, uh, due to a learning disability or a physical disability or um, some other reason, I I really can't do this function of the business. Yeah. You have to figure out a way to bring someone in that can. Yeah. The beauty now is, I mean, this is, you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine over, you know, the last 20 years, this fractional thing has become so hot. It didn't exist. Yeah. You know, I don't think you ever heard fractional CMO, fractional CFO. <laughs> I don't think you heard much of that 20 years ago. Yeah. I'm sure it existed in some form, but I don't think it was as common. It, it was certainly probably wasn't. called an external consultant. Yeah. But I mean, it's just so fractional. It's like, what do you need? Oh, I need uh, a fractional CTO, CMO, CFO, CSO. It all exists. Yeah. And this is access to high level people for a tiny fraction of what you'd have to pay someone full time. And oh, by the way, guess what? You couldn't afford or recruit that person. They'd never want to work for you, but they'd love to work with for you 10% of the time. Right. You know, so anyways, a really important lesson there. So good okay, interview, so good I, stuff. I need yes. you to get uh, the reason I'm, I'm such uh, I'm in such a hurry to wrap this up. So I want to get back to the home. You need to drive me back to the home because I get the best telemarketing calls between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. right before dinner. dinner yeah. yeah, and I keep those guys on forever until they hang up on me. My grandfather said that one time. <laughs> he goes, look, I, I retired many, many years ago. I, I got nothing but time here, buddy. <laughs> nothing but time. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week on an all-new episode of Outside, Outside the, the Tank. Tank.